This is Strategist, episode 1267. My name is Zane Velge. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, it's Monday the 13th. Welcome back. Oh, is it? Yeah, wow. It is. Time moves forward. Okay. Stephen Carter. <laughs> Time is standing still for Are me, you my sure? friend. Are you sure? What yeah. year is it, though, Zane? Because mm. I'm pretty sure... On the on the Muslim calendar, it's 2022. Okay, well, I'm no, pretty that's, sure it's 2022. No, that's, no. Yeah. Okay, let me tell you. No, it's not because no, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, Suella Braverman was just fired as Home Secretary. Uh, there's a Prime Minister in the UK who's now under assault from the right wing. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I kind of think it might be 2022. Uh, it's actually 1445 uh, after Hijra, which is uh, the year that I go by. <laughs> I feel like you had to Google that. You know my internet's slow enough for me to... I could not, I could not have Googled that in the time that I had. Uh, no, um, it's, of course, internalized, Carter. Um, speaking of things that are internalized, Carter, um, you, you're pending doom. You were just mentioning that to us oh, offline. Yeah. yeah. Any, anything you want to share with yeah. the, the broader audience uh, about uh, eventual heart attacks that you might suffer? No, I mean, it looks like a, I now have a 7% chance of dying in the next 10 years, but my doctors worry that I might have a heart attack when I'm 80. And I'm like, I think that's fine. I think it's good. I think 80 is fine. Like, how, how I mean, much 11 do I need years to worry? is great. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's pretty good. You know, so Zane, you probably don't know, but Corey and I are getting a big upgrade to our houses tomorrow. It's and very Corey's, exciting. Corey's <laughs> in the role same in it house? has been to just what? sit there, what? is just to sit there and just say, <laughs> yeah, I'll just take one of whatever he's getting. We're getting new upgrades to the power supply, so yeah. at least I'm going to. I'm not sure I'm going to let Corey get it now. I'm it's, just not so sure. Yeah, what, what, it's pissed me Finally, off. getting those level two chargers, and we're we're going in oh, uh, on good. a team deal here. Here's the yeah. issue. Here's the issue. Two for okay. one. Let me tell you two something. Two for one. 2005 Toyota Corolla does not need plugging in. Works just fine. <laughs> no, <it laughs> I mean it does for different. Yeah. Reasons, does not though. need plugging yeah. in. No, it does not. Yeah. Okay. You've have you driven one? <laughs> have you driven that luxury? Tape no, deck and all. I've seen you drive it. Yeah. That's enough. For <laughs> Roll us. down the windows. Let's move it on to our first segment. I've had enough of this shit. Our first segment. Why the fuck do we still do this? Guys, it's a it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, I'm gonna test I'm gonna test why the fuck we still do this. Except I'm gonna put a spin on it. Because in this case, Ooh. we don't do this all that often. And we've seen it happen. Corey, you teased this a bit. We're gonna go to the UK to talk about this political tactic. Uh, you don't need to do, know a lot, listening audience, about the UK, other than what Corey's mentioned, which is you have a home secretary who should not have been home secretary. She's been given the, the boot. You have a prime minister who has replaced Liz Trust, Rishi Sunak, who is desperately fighting for his political life, heading into an election, down in every single poll. Mm-hmm. And one of the moves, Corey, he has made is not just booting a unpopular, hardlining home secretary, which he has, and Suella Braverman, which, by the way, is the second time she's lost her job in the last 12 months, but that's a different show. Um, the same job, by the way. The same job. She's lost the same, same job. job. Okay. Yeah. Just, she, just so insane. somebody fired her, and then, and then he hired her. Again, and then fired, and then had okay. to fire. Her. Like I said, Listen, that sounds like a familiar story to me. The most interesting <laughs> thing, Carter. She got cartered for sure, uh, no doubt about it. She got cartered. Um, yeah. okay. The yeah. most interesting thing, Stephen Carter, about this story, yeah, is um, with all the shuffling, it left a room or a spot for someone to take on the foreign secretary, foreign affairs minister, as we would call it here. And Rishi Sunak has reached deep into the conservative bucket. And has found former Prime Minister David Cameron to take on the role. Um, now, Carter, this will all sound familiar to those who've seen the movie Dave. Um, oh, yeah. Because this, of course, is about Dave. This is how he made his cabinet. Carter, we have not seen mm-hmm. this in a very long time in the UK. I do not think we have seen this ever in Canada. Well, so the pe- question I have is, why the fuck do we not see something like this uh, happen? Why is this considered so novel, so interesting? Give me, give me your thoughts. Well, I think it it all depends, Zane, on where we draw the line. Are we drawing the line at a, you know, a former politician being invited into cabinet? Are we drawing the line at a non-member of of the legislative branch uh, being dragged into cabinet? Uh, We did see Jim Prentice drag Stephen Mandel and Gordon Dirks into cabinet before they'd won their uh, respective by-elections. So that is one time that we have seen that even here in Alberta. we, you know, we certainly talked about putting in a cabinet minister from outside of our caucus. Uh, turned out our caucus, when we, when Alison Redford was selected in 2011, ha- had exactly four people with any talent in it. 
Um, so it was really tough to make a cabinet. So we tried to reach outside of that. Um, you know, it's it. So it's not necessarily unheard of to invite a you know a non a non member of the legislative uh, portion of government. It is, I think, very unusual to invite a former prime minister who is a non sitting member of the government. It is. Uh, I actually went and I had to check because I wasn't sure that you know I thought David Cameron had stepped down from as his as a member of parliament. Um, and he had, but I had to check because it just seems so weird to to reach out and put him in. Um, it reminded me of, of Brian Mulroney uh, bringing Joe Clark into his cabinet uh, in 1984 as the Foreign Affairs Minister. But it's a uh, a little different because Brian um, Clark was still um, uh, still in, in in the caucus. Corey, this is this is different to a degree. And even if I wanted to ask you the broader question of members from outside, I'm asking the specific question of esteemed statesmen. And I know David Cameron is not that to many people, even is in concerned. Okay. But, but a former prime Google minister. Google David Cameron pig. Oh, I, I have Googled David oh. Cameron. Which, by the way, do we own davidcameronpig.ca? I, I think if we don't, <laughs> we should. That's co.uk, I think. Oh, yeah, you we, are yeah. going to bankrupt this podcast every time. We should we should definitely definitely um, ensure that Stop yeah, yeah we, okay. we we have that under our belts. Let me let me let me just jump. Hey Corey, yeah, give me give me your give me your well, th- give me your thoughts. Go ahead, go ahead. Look, I don't think there's many universes where you fire Swella Braverman for all of the reasons we've just said, I where heard. that's not the headline. Yeah, right. Yeah, but the headline instead is David Cameron is coming back to government, and he's going to be, uh, you know, essentially the foreign affairs minister, as you said. And so, I don't know. I mean, I think in some ways this is this is kind of classic misdirection. This is okay. Well, if we're going to do this, this is going to be a big thing. My government is already down by about twenty points in the polls. I'm looking for a big throw, anyways. I wouldn't mind just changing up this conversation entirely. The last couple of uh, prime ministers have been knifed by the right. Um, maybe that's not a great dance partner. Maybe I've got to look to the center. Maybe the reason I'm down 20 polls is because I'm not looking to the center. And so I think that uh, Rishi Sunak's just kind of trying to throw out the rundown here. Now, what's interesting to me is there is still like a year to the next UK election, and it does seem likely to me that he's going to have some sort of coup or surge of opposition coming from inside mm. his own party again. Although, let's be clear, and I think this has to be part of uh, his calculation, that would make the UK Conservatives look like the ultimate clowns. They've gone through Johnson, <laughs> Truss, and Sunak, and now if they end up on a fourth one uh, in this in this short term, that would be very wild to me. And that's to say nothing of the last two leaders that were knifed before that election. Right? Well, and and including Cameron and himself. the one who stepped down because of the Brexit vote, which was to your point, yeah, Cameron. Well, I would argue, yeah, and so fair point. He stepped down, but I mean, it was it, these all it was happened because of pressure, right? Absolutely. So, so, so can I get out of the so, UK politics for a second and ask about the materiality of of folks coming into cabinet that have served in government before at a high level? Like that's the core question of why we don't do this. We've talked in this on this program of prime ministers or cabinet ministers that were legendary at their portfolios, but their time is up. They're never really brought back. But we've also talked about this other sort of other sort of swim lane of people being addicted to the craft, the attention. Why do we not see this, what we saw today? And I get the political calculus, Corey. Why don't we see something like what we saw today more often? Yeah, it's super simple is because it doesn't work when there's two bosses in the room. And if, mm-hmm. if somebody was there and they were in charge, and then they're in a room with somebody else who's supposed to be in charge, You've set up a weird power dynamic right from the start. Frankly, the reason why it worked with Joe Clark is nobody thought Joe Clark was the boss. Like Brian Mulroney <laughs> was kind of a force, and Joe Clark was kind of not. Wow. And so he was. Picking on Joe. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to pick on Joe. Picking on but, Joe. But that was the read of it at that moment, and that's why he was able to do it. And in fact, it allowed uh, Brian Mulroney, who, if anything, kind of had kind of an ego attack you know like people would say he's he's egotistical he can't kind of work with other leaders it allowed him to kind of push the other way but uh, it's tough like it, it is tough to be in a room when you had the job of leader that you've relinquished the job of leader and not have people assessing your leadership versus the leadership of somebody else which is why we generally like our politicians to go away it it's mm. kind of rare that they don't like Joe Clark didn't right he stuck around Diefenbaker didn't he was there until the seventies I believe as an yeah. MP 
Um, but generally speaking, once you've done the big job, you leave. Yeah. And so that's that's a huge part of it. The, the other piece is more for the person who's leaving. If you've been the prime minister, you tend to be remembered by the last thing you did. And if the last thing you did was prime minister, then you're going to be remembered as a prime minister. Does David Cameron really want to be remembered as the foreign secretary? I want to speculate about his motivations, but Carter... He'll can, be remembered for Brexit. I, oh, well, but yeah. also he'll be remembered at davidcameronpig.ca, which is uh, which is a website. That's C-O-U-K. Uh, of course, we'll, we'll take both. Yeah, um, we'll get both. Uh, Carter, yeah. can, I ask, can I ask you to test Corey's, like, very conventional, and I don't mean that as an insult, Corey, like I mean, hypothesis... <laughs> Once you get the big job, you leave. And I guess the question I have for you, Carter, if I'm going to expand that a bit, once you have one of the big jobs, you leave. Should it be that way? Like, is it, and I understand Sunak's potential desperation for doing what he did today or misdirection, but should it be that way as one of the rules of our politics that we that we just so rotely follow? Well, I mean, in, in foreign affairs, it's a little different because what you're doing is you're dragging on the relationships of the people who were there. I think that if he was being brought in to be made health minister, that would be a, a completely different uh, kettle of fish. But he's being brought in to be a uh, foreign affairs minister, and that implies certain relationships with with foreign leaders. Um, I think I, I'm, I'm thinking as, as we're discussing this about the number of times that former presidents are, are asked. Uh, Bill Clinton is asked to go and be an envoy in a special place or Jimmy Carter used to be sent uh, all over the world um, at the behest of a, of a sitting president. Um, that's a far more common example than putting someone into a, you know, a permanent position. Um you know, even John Kerry coming back from being the presidential nominee to become the Secretary of State or, and then the uh, uh, the climate czar, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's more of a history of uh, when international relationships are at stake, reaching out to someone who has those relationships. And this might be one of the most challenging times in international relationships that we've seen since, I don't know, the UK left Europe. Um, but still... <laughs> See what I did yeah, there, Corey? I did, I did that, that for you. Nice. Yeah. You. Uh, but I think that, you know, David Cameron does have a lot of relationships. Now, a lot of the players have changed, too. I mean, it is not like the world has been a stable place uh, since he left, in part because of um, Brexit. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did well, the same joke is, two times. It's I'm good. And it was good myself. both times. Yeah. Look, I think this is actually an interesting one because you can sort of look in isolation at the David Cameron appointment and you can kind of look in isolation at the Braverman firing. I think that the politics that layers on top of it is, uh, you know, Sunak would much rather we're talking about the the David Cameron. But Carter's right. Like he, he's got all sorts of relationships. He'll have immediate credibility as he's engaging with foreign leaders who know him as a you know, serious player. And Pure. when you think about his Pure. interaction, his absolutely. And when you think about his interactions on the continent, you know, with the most important allies of the UK, they know he was he was on the side of Remain, you know, and that actually means something too at this particular moment when you're trying to hold everybody mm. together here. So there's there's actually a lot of logic if you can set aside some of like the weirdness of it all. You know, the fact he wasn't even an MP, although he was he was given a, a appointment to the House Lordship. of Lords today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And you know, I mean Desperate times, desperate measures, man. That's true in international well, well, affairs. And that's true in so, politics. Carter, the, the question I have, if, if I, and I, I know we want to get into the UK stuff a bit uh, with our limited knowledge. And when I say R, I mean uh, you and I, Carter, because of course, of course, Carter, no, I'm crushing you're, you're, it. You're doing today. fine. Could this happen here? Do you think? Yeah, well, could, let, me, let, me draw, let me draw a little could correlation. Could Pierre appoint Harper as the next foreign affairs minister? Like, I'm just going to throw out a, a random example. Well, how about these examples? How about if you were a former premier in the province of Alberta and you got brought back by Danielle Smith, as Ed Stelmack just did last week? Or how about if you were the former finance minister and the best premier that we never had in Jim Denning and you're selling your soul to try and get us to become an, you know, our own pension plan? Um, both of those are, the, are a similar tactic at a, just a different level. So, so, so the question, agreed, right? Could yeah. it could it get Damn right. could it get to the level that Sunak has put into play, Corey, in Canada? Well, I yeah, but it's not likely. It wasn't likely in the UK, hmm. and, and that's what it comes down to. 
I think now that there's an example on the table, we'll see how it goes. If this is a great disaster, because all of a sudden there's this big conflict between Cameron and, and Sunak, God forbid one of them says one thing as the foreign policy of the UK and one says another or something yeah. like that, right? But doesn't this feel a little bit West Wing, like Arnold Vinnick getting the appointment? It, it, to be, it does. I mean, Corey hasn't you know, watched it, so he'd also probably just say yes. He, he didn't <laughs> it, it does seem... It, so this is actually my other question to you guys. Is I wanted to do this both on like the 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 Sunak side as well as the Cameron side, knowing that like folks may not know the context or the deep context of each. But is this inspired? Is this desperate? Is this how would you like read this? A move like this that has not happened in some fifty years in the in the UK from from some something. How would you read this, Corey, as a top line? Carter, same question to you in a second. Desperate. I mean, it's so desperate. And one of the things that I have to imagine was in uh, Sunak's mind was either A, I don't have anybody else who can do this job, Mm -hmm. right? Or like, and maybe not this job, like broaden it to like, there's these four great offices of state in the UK. We've talked about this before, right? It's the, you know, it's the chancellor, it's the prime minister, it's the uh, home secretary and the foreign secretary. So either he said, I don't have somebody I can elevate to one of those positions because everybody and their fucking dogs in the cabinet in the UK, right? But he's decided that he can't elevate one of these people. Or he's worried about the internal dynamics of elevating any of them, like the, the the warfare that it will cause. So he's like, well, can't choose A, can't choose B. I guess I'm going to smash through this wall and grab C off the street. Like this this seems to be the logic here. And this does strike me as a, as a generally desperate move. This is not a move that you would expect from a totally healthy government that is up 10 points in the polls where everybody's getting along. Let's put it that way. Carter, Corey says desperate. Is are desperate and inspired two sides of the same coin, or no? Listen, I think that from desperation comes a lot of innovation. I think that sometimes, you know, <laughs> if you're really desperate, you got to come up with a better idea. Um, so desperation creates innovation. Um, this innovation, I think, is uh, perhaps too far, but at the same time, and, and I think that Corey's brought up a reason why we didn't pursue it uh, back in the day. Uh, it really does send a shitty message to the rest of your caucus. Uh, yeah, yeah that- sorry guys, we had to re- reach outside, and I don't think that David Cameron is, you know, particularly loved by the far right. I mean, he he was against Brexit. Oh, he's he, sure not. Yeah, you know, he's he's um he's a moderate in in many regards. I mean, I had to take a moment to re- you know, was he Labour? No, oh, of course he wasn't. Labor. No, no, he was, he was like conservative. You can but, find the whole bio at yeah, David it wasn't Cameron. That conservative. Okay, <laughs> stop it. Hey, Corey. Oh, hey, and actually, Carter, Carter, stick it with you on this. No, I'm, I think I'm done. Uh, humble service, ego, addiction. Those are three options. Why would uh, Dave say yes to this? Uh, it's porn addiction, I think, is probably what's firing it. He needs, you know, I don't know. Why would you? No, I mean, seriously. On the other hand, seriously, he it, didn't he, finish. He didn't finish. He left before finishing, and I think that there's something to be said for wanting to go back into the chair that you, you vacated uh, prematurely. <laughs> Fuck off, Carter. <laughs> I mean... What? Are you thinking about premature? Okay. You're just a dirty boy, Zane. Humble service, ego, addiction, Corey, either of those three? None of those three? Combination of those three? I. It's always a combination of those. It's funny because I had... Carter drew this parallel to some of the things we're seeing in our home province of Alberta, where a lot of yesteryear's politicians are being dragged out to validate this current government's agenda. Um and I had the same question about Jim Dinning. I threw it out on Twitter, and it was effectively, why did Jim Dinning agree to do this? Like, there are more important plot lines in the come back pension with, plan. He's a whore? A lot in my comments okay. yeah, said it was about money or attention or whatnot. But it's an interesting question. Why, why a politician decides to come back to this limelight here? But, you know, for me, I, the answer is pretty simple. Like, I... It's addictive. It's really addictive. Mm-hmm. The entire world cares what you have to say. You're incredibly relevant. God, if you're the prime minister of the United Kingdom, that's a that's an important country in the world, in world affairs. Screwed up basically the whole globe, and everybody still wants to have your opinion for some reason, right? And um, and then to go from that to private citizen is, is quite a come down. So if somebody offers you a role, strokes your ego a bit and says, like, you Only know, you can do this. I see this, yeah. I see this foreign secretary as being 
like a partnership. Like, I really respect what you did. Only you can do this. The world is falling apart at the seams. We need a serious adult in the room. This is you, David. David, we need you to do see, this right now. He did see the West Wing, Zane. Oh. But isn't that, I mean, is that ego? Is that, like, it could be any of your categories, what I've just described there, right? And I think people ultimately want to be relevant. And um, it's tough to leave a job before you want to leave a job. He's not getting that job back, but he's getting maybe some parts of it. And um, and that's uh, that's interesting to me. We're going to leave that segment there, move it on to our next segment, our next segment, 6% up. Corey, they've done it. The Alberta Pension Plan has a boost in a new, new poll by Leger Marketing. It suggests that it has gone from 21% support within the Alberta populace to a full 27% support. I'll put the sarcasm aside because there is some interesting numbers in here. Uh, opposition for it fell from uh, 54 uh, to 48%. Uh, and respondents who don't know uh, held steady almost at uh, since October at 24%. Uh, this is, of course, the Alberta Pension Plan, $7.5 million ad spend on this particular thing. I think that ad spend is not completely exhausted. Um, Corey, can I start with you on this? You have been used to, um, you know, public uh, sort of campaigns within the government context. Sure. I, I give you some of the top lines, right? $7.5 million campaign, 6% boost, 4% drop in opposition. Um, taking off the, the this hat, putting on that old hat, how would you kind of read what I just put on to you top line? Or how would you start reading what I just threw to you top line uh, with your with your former uh, uh, PE hat on? Yeah, I would say that those numbers could very easily mislead. Mm -hmm. And we certainly need more information than we have from this poll. And certainly the government has that information. So what's interesting to me is not that the number moved from 21 to 27% support. And just for ease, let's just stick to the support yeah, okay, numbers, sure. right? Yep. Like ultimately, it's more popular now. Not by a ton, but it's more popular now. Because the original polling, the reference polling was done too early, right? Mm -hmm. I think the reference poll was actually done in the spring. Uh, and even if it was done right after this was all dropped out in October here, it doesn't tell us enough about how much it permeated into the population. And what we need to know is how much of that six point gain was from that initial bundle of offerings, right? Is this, you know, oh, we're going to get $334 billion. Your premier now supports it. That's an important part of the offering. Your team supports it, right? Uh, so $334 billion, your team now supports it, you'd be paying less, you'd be getting more, that initial bundle, and how much of that is the result of this media campaign that's gone on since? And if if all of that came in the first couple of days, mm. and none of it has come since, well, then they're obviously in some serious, serious trouble. And so if yeah. all of it came as a result of advertising in the past four weeks, well, I guess now we know they can move agree by about one point a, a week, and then you're not in trouble at all. You easily have the runway to get there if you need to. Not saying that you're not going to hit saturation points, Yeah, yeah. But, but that's the conversation that needs to be happening in government. Like, what actually drove these changes? Carter, I, I want to get your, your perspective. That's actually very helpful, right? Like, so, so to some, the last point I find particularly insightful, which is that should this government have unlimited appetite on an ad spend or a greater appetite than the initial tranche of money that they have, if they can move a point a week, they're going to take that in a, in, a, in a binary race and push it to, to this eventual referendum, which they've they've highlighted is not coming in the next 12 months, for example, and may be a longer runway than that, so to speak. Uh, if they wanted to kind of go through this one point a week sort of drudge. Carter, you read it. From your strategist lens, not to say that what Corey's provided isn't a strategist lens, but it's, I asked him for a slightly different one. What do you see when, when I give you some of these top lines? Well, this is one of the reasons that we rail against top lines all the time. And because I'm not sure what the willing to move looks like. Mm -hmm. We've done we've done communications for very contentious issues, and those contentious issues often wind up with very polarized op, op groups, right? So you wind up, oil and gas is a great one. Right. Uh, a pipeline. We call them like I like a seven point Likert scale. Some people like a five point. Some people like a three point. Doesn't really matter. We wind up with, you know, on the seven point Likert scale, we call them ones and twos and sixes and sevens. Those people are already agree with you or disagree with you. Where's the middle? Where's the three, fours and fives? And what's going to force them to change their mind? And what I'm seeing with this is that, you're, you know, there's actually a substantial number of people who have a position. Right. And that position 
we know from our historical work in these areas that changing someone's mind around a position is way harder than introducing someone to a new topic and getting them to come to your side. And what we're watching right now in my mind, is the hardening of these positions. And if we were doing questions, we would then say, how likely are you to change your mind? And then we would also test various messaging to determine how their mind would change. And the fact that Leger has not done that, you know, has not shown us those levels of, of polling, I think is interesting. Because I think that, you know, if we, if we were doing it, we would do that for sure. We would want to know what the... Uh, world of potential voter looks like? Do we have a large enough group that we could win the election? Right now, I don't think Danielle's got a big enough group because Corey said, you know, it's gone up X number percentage, but it's hardened both sides. Yeah. When you look at the strongly agrees and strongly disagrees on that particular poll, mm -hmm. like the, the amount who are strongly opposed to an Alberta pension plan feels like it's enough to kill it, frankly. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's hard to move us strongly. It's really hard to move us strongly. And especially when you consider that the opposition to an Alberta pension plan increases with age, or mm -hmm. in other words, mm -hmm. would it support declines with age? Well, uh, old people vote, right? And, and, so and they're hard to thing, change their minds. It's hard <laughs> to change their minds. You know, we get stubborn as we age, man. It, it happens to all of us. And... I think um, I think that's a real tough uh, wall to climb up. But again, th there is some information underneath that the government would have, that any political pollster would have, th that the top line pollsters aren't going to get because that's not what's going to get. Well, you know, like they get the news story from the top line, yeah. right? They can put yep. one question yep. in an omnibus or a couple, and they get the news story. But um, well, I was sitting with Leger at the public affairs thing, and I said, "Haven't you guys not polled on this yet?" And they said, "Oh." And they texted their boss, and they're going to poll on it. So this is the oh, this, this is your this fault. Is this is my fault. Congratulations, oh. yeah. Well, but I didn't yeah. say to them, "Why don't you get me to write the questions?" Because then they'd be better. That that was my fault. I should have maybe mentioned you weren't you weren't explicit enough. Is is which is which is something very very rarely you get very criticized. unusual for me. I want to can yeah. we talk strategy for a second here? So I actually want to pick up on exactly what you guys said, which is this concept that. Often, it's the high-level top line that drives the media narrative, or at least even not even the media narrative, the narrative narrative. And sometimes, sure, like, yeah. campaigns internally, like, whether even if they're not formalized, but there is an APP campaign here, like, let's be clear about it, even if it doesn't have formal roles like a campaign would. Carter, if you were on the inside of that thing, how would you leverage a 6% bump and a 4% reduction in opposition uh, alongside the fact that, you know, your UCP support, if you're an UCP supporter, you're now plus 30 than when you were in, when this was initially pulled from 21 to 54. Like, you know, you're now shaping narrative less so trying to use numbers to analyze next moves. What would you do from a message narrative perspective if you want to take these numbers I, like and, and mold them to your benefit, stretch them, um, you know? contort them in a particular way. Talk to me about that from a, from your messaging strategy um, experience. Well, so I'm, I'm not sure really what you want me to do in terms of con changing the, the numbers. Well, what I would, what, what would you what center? Would what would you not center? What would you leave out? Those sort of things I find really fascinating to kind of drive a particular story within your campaign or within the broader public, right? That, that's kind of where I'm trying to get to. Yeah. I think the big thing here is the polar or the, the, the signaling of the team, right? One mm. of the things that, Danielle has done, and this and this contrasts greatly to uh, Notley when she brought in the carbon tax. When the carbon tax was brought in, the people who stood up on stage with with Rachel Notley were the CEOs of the big oil and gas companies in Calgary, and those CEOs stood up and said, "We've been paying carbon tax forever, and this is a good thing for all, for all of Alberta." And uh, people forget that because those CEOs ran away with their tails between their legs uh, when things started to get tough, but. This is this is kind of the the you know this the 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 same. You need to be signaling to people who aren't part of your tribe that this is still a good thing. And right now the problem is Danielle has chosen mostly people who are seen to be from that you know, the, the single group that, that is conservative. Um, I don't think she's getting credit for bringing back Stelmac or bringing back um, Dinning. I think that she needs to find a way to get you know, Ed Broadbent to talk about pensions or something along those lines. That's a name from the past that Corey and I 
Ed Broadbent used to be the leader of the NDP, Zane. Oh, okay. When you were six. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that, yeah. Carter. No worries. Hey, Corey, what would you center? You're in the APP campaign. You're the the government, I guess, in this case, and then those that want this thing to move forward. You have some top line numbers. You have some raw ingredients to mold public narrative out of. You're seeing some growth where you need to see some growth. It may not be what you need to in terms of how you're and what you're making your decisions on, but it's enough to mold something. What are you molding? Yeah. Well, first, let's be clear. When you've got people who are strongly for or against, this tactic works less, what I'm about to say. But it is a pretty common tactic when you start using polls and weaponizing them. And it's part of why during elections, people pull their hair out when there's a very suspect poll. that Because it looks like it creates social acceptability for a choice, right? Like, oh, I thought that was dead. Maybe that's not dead. Oh, that's interesting. People are actually on board with that. Oh, maybe I should open my uh, my mind to that. And it allows you as a government to say things like, well, as people learn more about an Alberta pension plan, they love it. They really get on board. And, you know, I too was skeptical at the start, but when these facts are presented, it's just such a no-brainer for Alberta. And you can see that in the polling. As we've gone out, as we've talked to more people, we have persuaded people simply by putting the facts in front of them that this is right for Alberta here, right? And then as Captain Gary Russell would say, fasten your seatbelts. Anything can happen from there. All of a sudden, you've got a majority level of support for this fucking thing. And and you know that's that's what the government hopes for. That's what the government aspires for. But see my comments at the start. It's probably not that likely in a scenario where there's so many strongly opposed, right? Yeah. Because it's just, it's, you're not sitting there kind of clueless to how people feel about this particular thing. Feels like a real Gary Russell tactic too, like where he's pushing just a little bit too hard, trying to get it to the win. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily the time for this. I mean, I think if you can move it another six points, uh, then that argument becomes stronger. And don't try and Gary Russell it too early. Well, and you know, it's like what Gary Russell has that the government doesn't is a button that he can just push to land the plane. It requires no mm. intelligence or skill. It's true. The government doesn't have that button. So no, this government the government's actually going to have to lead. Skill. Yeah. The government's going to have to lean in hard on this and find a way to, to, to successfully accomplish so, so this. So don't go on autopilot is what I'm hearing. You, you need experienced pilot no. <laughs> to push this through. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to pick up on something that Corey said here. Is there a chance, Corey, that this partisan hue that is now being like, like the growth, the extreme growth that we are seeing, the 20, I'm going to call it extreme growth, it's 30 points between UCP folks being like, if my, if my side is supporting this, I better get on board. What is there, is, is there just pure upside for the pro-APP at this point to kind of follow that path and say our, our, our number one pathway to growth is partisan? And like, and, and that's sort of like, like I know Carter's saying like coalition, Ed yeah. Broadband or whatever the equivalent, but is, is the number one pathway to growth and viability or even having a shot in hell is just being like, let's just get this to a 50-50% partisan fight and like make the other side as, make the, make the, make the, 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 the pro CPP side, the NDP side, and that's the best chance we have at this. Like, talk to me about that, well, the, that binary the, tactic. Yeah, that's obviously the tactic they're going for here, right? The way that they've tried to say, Trudeau can't say what you do with the pension, only you can. And the notion that they continue to trot out all of these old conservative war dogs to to suggest that this is not such a bad thing, um, and in general, endorse their agenda. I mean, this is... If they could get it to a point where it's conservative versus New Democrat, they've got, you know, it's it's pretty even. It's Relitigating. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's even and and probably advantage conservatives there. The challenge that they're going to have with that is it's not necessarily perceived as a conservative idea. And this does pull the other way, too. Like this this transposition of one issue over another is kind of politics 101 stuff. But the risk is it also makes you take on some of the characteristics of the thing you're trying to transpose over too, right? So explain you risk that, hurting the conservative. Hmm. Yeah, you risk hurting conservatism by tying it to this deeply unpopular idea. Yeah, you'll make some people support the unpopular idea because they're conservatives, mm -hmm. but you'll make some people say, maybe I'm not a conservative. Hmm. And in a province that has become much closer to 50-50, in a province that it actually does look a bit like coin toss elections are on the horizon here, I'm not really sure you want to do that. Like this might be the kind of the the archetypical win the battle, lose the war. Like the question I think conservatives need to ask themselves is, would you rather get an Alberta pension plan 
or conservative governments in the future? Because that might actually be the choice that conservatives have uh, going forward here. Carter, I, w- I want to hear your thoughts on this, but can I can I ask you the opposite side of this question or, or another one sure. that I'm contending with, which is how does CPPIB or those that manage and are invested in ensuring the CPP remains as big as it uh, ultimately can be, how do they ensure that they don't ca- get caught in the partisan war that that the uh, government is trying to potentially paint this through. How do they ensure, in the simplest terms, that they're not seen as the NDP side of the argument in the Alberta context? Uh, what, what advice would you have for them in, in this particular sort of case? And Corey, I'll come to you on that too, I, if you've got any thoughts. I'm not so sure that they can. I think that s- sides are going to be drawn up and Trying to stay neutral, I think, is sometimes the hardest thing to do because people are going to perceive you as having a side anyways. Um, So you may as well jump in and and take the position that makes the most sense for you. If you think you're on the side of the right, don't worry about how you're being necessarily perceived. Like, I don't think this necessarily should be Justin Trudeau's battle because I think that that would bounce back. But I think this could certainly be um, a bigger battle that, that... that takes a look, you know, grabs people from um, across the country to to jump into it. I think this is one of the challenges that we faced with the uh, the Quebec, the Quebec referendum, when you know when there was a you can't have a test that says that only certain people can be involved in this. I think that's one of the big the great questions of this entire referendum. If we do get to one, is this a provincial referendum with our rules here, or is this a federal referendum? And you know, a federal referendum comes with some different advantages. Corey, same question to you. CPPIB, how do they ensure they don't get caught in the trap? You may disagree that it's even a trap in the first place to be in, in, in the same side as the NDP, uh, almost be seeing driven as a, as a uh, passenger in this partisan war. Well, this is a challenge they're going to have. Like, there's going to be all sorts of pretty mediocre fellow travelers who are going to say, I'm also opposed to an Alberta pension plan and standing next to CPPIB. Because it like, look, this is a fucking unpopular issue for the government. And if you're opposed to the government, this is a great issue to hit them with. Everybody can see and that. And join the that parade the sort of thing. yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The NDP messaging, you can see that in how some of the classical opponents of the government have come out pretty hard on this, even if it's only like somewhat related to their mandates. I'm looking at you, Alberta Federation of Labor, like I understand. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, working classes rely on the pension, but, you know, frankly, by that logic, there's there's literally no issue that's out of bounds, which actually kind of reflects the AFL's approach. So. Not not shocking here. But yeah, you're going to have people come up and stand up and say, these are my things and this is what I'm going to do. If you're the CPPIB, you just need to kind of make sure you're following your own path and be very mindful. Like, let's just put it this way. Anything that looked like coordination mm. between CPPIB and the NDP would be a nightmare for the CPPIB, right? But... Um, it's not to say that there aren't abilities that uh, the CPPIB has to drive message and signal what the stronger messages are and to put things out there into the public consciousness that can be then picked up and carried by other people. And similarly, they can look at what's being used successfully out there by politicians and hangers-on of politics and say, maybe that's something that we can leverage and use too. But you've just got to be purer than pure on some of this stuff here and make well, sure that you're not... You're not going to be stuck. Go, go ahead, Carter. Canada-wide campaign could work too, hmm. right? It doesn't necessarily just need to be in Alberta. Well, okay. Well, All of Canada, you're standing up and protecting our pension funds. I yeah. like that. Well, look, okay, we we sit here in November. I want to ask you this question again. The last time I I brought this this topic up in detail, I asked you this, a similar question, and I'll start with you, Carter. Is CPPIB's current strategy to not say a lot publicly still the right one for them? Um. Given where we no. are now. No, where we are now, we need to start hearing the other voices. It's been weeks, uh, weeks, and the only person in the field, the only group in the field has been the Alberta pension, or the government of Alberta. And the truth is that I think that to fight this government, it's not going to be a grassroots organization. You know, Corey and I aren't going to be able to do this. You know, like this is going to be government versus government. And the 
it's going to have to it's going to have to look different than I, I want to come back. I want to come back to that point, but keep going. Well, in the sense yeah, I of just I just don't see the capacity of like let's let's take Corey's original point. Hey, they've gained ten points or whatever, eight points in the well, la- in the first. It wasn't my can, point, but no, I, I asked Corey. I asked, said I asked him to basic, go down that path, right? And so yeah, and upon my request, yes. But basically, if if. If you have this belief that the UCP could, in fact, break this thing through and put a wedge in in Alberta politics, this is going to be disastrous. So you best start figuring out how you can play. Corey, your advice has been that not communicating is always a viable option. They seem to have taken that option. I've talked about CPP. I mean, they haven't. So let's let's be super clear about what they can and cannot do. You can't have... Like somebody from Toronto coming in and saying, "This is my argument. Let me let me debate with you, David Parker. Let me debate with you, Danielle Smith." That's not the type of communications uh-huh, uh-huh, that uh-huh. CPPIB has available to them. What they have available to them is advertising, which there's a ton of guys. There is a I ton of CPPIB advertising in Alberta, and they have the ability to coordinate with stakeholders and. There's a ton of that happening right now, too. So, like, let's not say it's not communication simply because we can't see a spokesperson standing up and talking. And in terms of, like, what would be the next steps and going out there, that's not their next step. That's simply not their next step. There's the things that they can do and the things that they should do. And then there's the things that would actually probably incur a bit of a backlash. And, And having, like the president of CPPIB or something coming in and debating with Albertans is not... Well, that's not what I'm suggesting for as a campaign. No one's suggesting... What we're not seeing. Oh, my God. But hold on. I've been, I'm also... I've been slandered. What slandered. What is talking about in terms of like the... Like, it's just like an open field for the APP. In the past couple of weeks, we've seen Pierre Polyev oppose this. Yeah, we've yeah, seen yeah. provincial governments come out Agreed. against this. We've seen... Christian Freeland come out and the federal government and make comments. Now, I wasn't necessarily wild about some of them, mm-hmm, but we've mm-hmm, talked mm-hmm. about them as recently as last fucking episode. Like, there are people on was the I field. On the here. last episode? You were. You oh. were. Okay, so so, you loved so it. tell me about this. Was it this good? is what actually no, no. helped me <laughs> develop a holding statement for CPPIB right now. If they were questioned on this, this is like, you know, and, and, and so for folks to bring, bring them in on this exercise, right? Corey, I get it. They've got a lane that they're communicating in right now. It's, it's not seen in, in a, but if they were pushed on this issue, if they were like cornered on this issue, right? Parkade, whatever, president found wherever, like one of those situations, what's in the holding statement that's getting passed to the executive around Alberta wanting to do this? What, what would, yeah, I mean, Albertans absolutely have the right, but it would hurt Albertans and it would hurt Canadians. And ultimately, I think if Albertans want to have a conversation about this, they need to have a conversation rooted in the facts. And the facts are bigger pensions get better returns. Bigger pensions are less risky. A pension that allows you to port your pension from province to province is good for all of us because it supports mobility of Canadians. And, uh, you know, we just really hope that the government of Alberta takes this seriously and doesn't see this as a communications exercise, but instead a very serious conversation about the cons of stepping out of the Canadian pension plan, as well as what they perceive as the pros. Carter, anything to add there? Or remove? I would just say, you know, it, it, it's it, it, this is something that requires more information. More information needs to come very quickly. We're, and uh, that Albertans should be uh, encouraged to, I don't know, I'm making shit up. I'm not very happy with it. I'm going to move away from what I was saying. Thank you very much for your opportunity. Well, actually, here's two, two things I want to uh, uh, gnaw on for a second here. Um, Corey, you talk, about, you talk about the facts. You don't outline... Alberta's current request of 50 plus percent of the pension would you or no you stay away from that in your mind well look I, they've already commented on this it's kind of funny because you're asking for like a holding statement that they've effectively given well I, I, right? I but trust me there's a second part to this I, I, I'm gonna get to do I you know I, I don't know if I go I would say that number is not realistic um, but you're gonna have to go to the Ministry of Finance to determine what the actual number is um, but in some ways, debating that number is not even the territory that I necessarily want to hang out on. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong, that's a very powerful argument, and that's affecting a lot of views here in Alberta in terms of the realisticness or not of that number. But what do you gain as CPPIB getting involved there any more than just sort of poking it and saying that number is not really rooted in the realities 
you can't go too far because you don't actually have the number. The number lives in finance. It doesn't live with you. So I don't know. Like, don't don't go too Carter, far. Would you like, mention the number? Well, it's it's interesting. I'm not sure I would, but it, it, I think when we go back in time um, and we look back at this, uh, we may be looking at the provincial government and saying, did they step on it when they actually came up with this number? Did they think they were w- presenting a winning argument? But it really created an incredulous argument that no one believed. And as a result, they actually hurt themselves. Um, that, that will be determined, uh, I think, in the fullness of time. Um, but it's something that you know, I'm very interested, well, and I think that that will be an interesting I told, part of the I told Corey there's a part two, and this is exactly where I wanted to get to, which is making the opposite argument of what you just have, Carter. Would CPPIB, by not focusing in on the fact that Albertans, you guys have a fundamental choice here, it is your choice, you ultimately get to choose, repeating choice over and over again in different ways, saying we feel strong in our case, but you have a choice here, and not making that the, the core of it. Um, versus getting into what seems to be, and this is not CPPIB's sort of MO, but Corey, you've mentioned it, talking about the, the, the you know, that's not a real number. A lot of us who are against the, the APP are talking about these fantasy numbers, myself included, Carter, as you heard on, on a recent oh, podcast yeah. for us. Are we, are we falling into the COVID trap? Where we're not highlighting th- that that folks have a choice, and it kind of sounds like a more of like a and once again to get to the partisan hue, a, a left wing sort of like we know better. This is bullshit. You you folks, fucking idiots, and it turns people off in a certain way. I know the current numbers, Carter, to your sense, are maybe sensing a hardening, a strong oppose. But I want to put that counterpoint on the table on core messaging of this united, uh, even with what uh, core. What did you call it? Uh, mediocre. Uh, travelers that you're associated with uh, against the APP is the is there a trap here that that the collectively could be falling into I so I I think that there's the risk of that I don't know that you could look at anybody's messaging and not see Albertans have a choice right I think everybody is really mindful of that I do think that there's an interesting thing that happens more so today than in times past for a million reasons we can go into but News cycles really whip around right now, but let's 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 slow it down. Like this has been out in the public discourse for like a month, right? And this slow this down is actually my advice for for anybody who is kind of on the opposed side of an Alberta pension plan. You do not need to have the entire conversation over the next three months. If this is going to occur over a couple of years here, you don't want all of your arguments to seem two years old by the time that this thing happens. Slow this fucker down. COVID was an urgent situation. COVID did not allow anybody to slow things down. This is not an urgent situation. This is a conversation about a pension that maybe will result in a referendum, maybe in 2025, maybe later. And if you throw all of your arguments on the table, all you're doing is giving an opportunity for people who have shown themselves not exactly to be like the biggest proponents of truth to come up with new untruthful arguments to start chiseling away at you here. So slow this fucker down. Start thinking in terms of months, not weeks. You do not need to do things as fast as you're thinking you do. You just don't. Let this thing play out a bit. Garner, it's 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 similar to, you know, if I if I if I tally up what's on the the other side of the argument, Krista Freeland, the finance minister of Ontario, fantasy numbers, you know, the, the other side uh, arguing like, listen, it's all bullshit, none of it's real, you know, don't be duped for it. You know, if I'm on the APP side, I'm like, this is a great recipe to rally against in some ways, right? Like, I got all the ingredients of, of folks of, of like, uh, you know, the, the progressive left collectively telling me that I don't know jack shit. Uh, and we've seen that hasn't necessarily translated well in, in, a, in a populist era. Are you concerned around where the messaging track might be headed? I don't think I'm concerned yet. I mean, I think that this feels to me like it's an, it's a, still an, a novel concept. It's something that's still new. Um, I think that this is such a... Uh, I'm not sure we're going to get to a referendum on this. I, I think that there's a very real possibility that this government just walks away and tries to accomplish other things that they feel is more important, like uh, in some fashion hurting trans children. You know, like that's really what, that's really where their heart lives. So, you know, it's 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 difficult to imagine that they're necessarily going to be able to see through all of their uh, ridiculous policies. 
We're going to leave that segment there. Move it on to our next segment, Corey. Our next segment, a friend of my friend is my friend. Uh, let's move it on to the Ontario Liberal Party campaign. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Listen, two oh, yeah. homies, two current sitting uh, MPs are now teaming up-ish. Uh, Nate Erskine-Smith and Yasser Nakvi came out with a joint press conference uh, and released. This was on Thursday. We record here on Monday, so just before um, Remembrance Day, uh, saying in a bid to stop Bonnie Crombie, um, they are urging their supporters to put the other. So if you're a Nate fan, you tell you, you, you or a Yasser fan, you encourage the your supporters to put the other person vice versa, um, as their second choice in the preferential ballot to stop Bonnie Crombie um, and, and, and ultimately help them finish at the top of the pack because of this preferential voting system. Um, they, they had a lot of rhetoric about the important choices, about how Bonnie Crombie's terrible, et cetera, et cetera. Carter, I want to go to you on this. You, you're not surprised why I start with you on this first. You, no, I mean, I'm, I'm actually someone who's done preferential ballots. Is this the Good. right way to do it? from your perspective that's just like the top line question i have these two guys going out together saying hey you know if you like me you also should like him transitive property first and second second and first timing cadence announcement tell me about it like you've you've studied these mechanics intensely yeah is this how you would have done it mm-hmm. is this the right way to do it Ab- absolutely not this is the exact wrong way to do it um you the the psychology of this is really straightforward. People who there is a clear front runner. People who choose not to vote for that front runner are doing so for a very specific reason. Uh, Yasser and Nate aren't going to lose because of um, you know people loving Bonnie too much. If Bonnie gets over a certain percentage, right now I would peg that percentage somewhere around forty five percent, forty three percent on the first ballot, then she's going to win, and that's just the way that's going to go. Um, if she gets below that, then she only wins if there's something called attrition, which means that people stop marking their ballots for Yasser or Nate or someone else. Um, so Bonnie is in real trouble if she doesn't get close on that first ballot. And that's where I think these guys have gone wrong. They seem to think that they have to paint a negative picture of Bonnie Crombie for them to actually win. What they're doing is actually hurting themselves. What they should be saying is... I really like that, uh, Nate. I really like that, Yasser. We agree on so many things. We want to support each other. We are, in fact, a unified candidacy. One and two, one and two. It does not matter who you put one. It does not matter who you put two. Who the hell cares about Bonnie Crombie? Who the fuck is she? We don't care at all. All we're trying to do is to prohibit or to reduce attrition because there's only two ways to win. A, a preferential ballot. One is through roll-up, and the other is attrition. Bonnie needs attrition. Yasser and Nate need roll-up. That's it. And by bringing Bonnie into it, they weaken their own argument. Uh, uh, Corey, one second. Carter's explained this to me 50 times, and I ask this genuinely, which is why I'm like, Carter, does this make sense? Because I'm reading it as an argument. I'm like, it kind of makes sense, but you're telling me... No. Explain this to me. I, I actually am not able to follow the thread here. How does... How does okay? How, well, you just said if what they did actually hurts themselves, can you explain yeah. that a bit more? Like, I, I don't actually fundamentally get it. To be totally honest with you, you're giving a reason where reason doesn't need to be given. So it's it's the essentially the same thing as when the uh, the pension plan inflates itself to fifty four percent for Albertans. Um, it, it it causes people to go. Hold on a second here. Why am I not supporting that? Why do that does that seems suspect to me? People aren't going to change their votes to stop Bonnie Crombie. They want to vote for Yasser and Nate. So don't give them the wrong reason for that. Give them instead a combined vision. Give them instead if you like Nate, you like Yasser. If you like Yasser, you like Nate. But wouldn't they be don't arguing that's what they're about doing who right don't now? Like. What, what, there's, there's a nuance, but they they're they're doing no, something. There's sim- no nuance. They're jumping on it way too hard, oh, saying we don't like Bonnie. Let's fuck Bonnie. I see. So you think it's this is not a fuck Bonnie equation. So it's not the mechanics of what they've done; it's the messaging of what they've done. Just so I'm clear, the mechanics are perfectly sound. You need to roll up. Interesting, Corey. Your take on this? 
this is this is always fun to me because I get to ask Carter and then he explains to me roll up an attrition are and then I forget every single time. Um, but your your take on this in terms of these two guys current liberal I mean there's there's some interesting elements to this right like they're current liberal MPs are both wanting this job they've clearly painted a singular opponent they've indicated by doing that that she's the front runner people may already know that your take on how they've have, they've um, put this sort of strategic ploy out there. Yeah, it's really, really hard to argue with Stephen on this, because ultimately he's right. The idea that somebody is going to flip and become a supporter of theirs who was otherwise going to be a Crombie supporter seems relatively remote to me, just because of how leadership politics often work. And he really stuck the landing when he talked about, like, it's about attrition and the fact that you might otherwise have some of the supporters just say, I'm voting one and that's done. Like, I'm I'm marking an X, I'm not even putting numbers at all. And so this is a way to avoid that. And look, I can I can speak from some limited experience here. In 2006, in the Dion campaign, there was there was all sorts of conversations with Gerard Kennedy delegates, uh, and there was of course a broader deal that is well understood. Like whoever was behind the other one was going to drop off the ballot, right? And so like like that, there are ways to signal those things, and there are dynamics that can exist and be unspoken, such as we've got to stop Michael Ignatieff, right? Uh, But the minute you speak to them and bring them in, you're bringing kind of an ugliness that almost demands a backlash. And we we started to see that last week. So, you know, right around the time Captain Gary Russell was celebrating his birthday with a giant piece of cake in the cockpit of his 737, totally feeling himself, creating a huge delay at Pearson while he demanded somebody bring him chocolate ice cream, not vanilla ice cream. I was stuck in that delay. Well, right around that time, you know, uh, Bonnie Crombie's team's getting together and saying, my God, this is a bad look for them, you know, piling on against the only female candidate in this race and creating another dynamic. That's the kind of dynamic that can actually upset and shift votes. Mm. The type of dynamic that they've talked about here, where it's like, you got to vote for us, you know, anybody but Bonnie sort of thing. That's not that's costed in, man. Like, if you think that conversation hasn't happened for everybody, you're kidding yourself. It is about the attrition there. But the minute that you sort of refix this conversation into something that's about gender politics or fairness or aren't we all supposed to be in the same party, that's a new element that's potentially explosive in a way that, frankly, that the element that they otherwise tried to introduce wasn't. And there's some irony there because I'm effectively saying they just made explicit what was implicit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But that's the dance we play in politics. That's the dance we play in politics. Uh, that's 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 a that's a good point there. Um, that that last part of the implicit and explicit. By the way, I should mention to folks that are listening: this this vote happens not this coming weekend, but weekend after. So Carter, two weeks till this thing, they kind of go out with this announcement the Thursday before. Um, Talk to me about how, if you were the party, how you'd be feeling about this. We rarely kind of give the party like a strategy voice, but if you're a political party, the executive director of the Ontario Liberals, these sort of conversations, like, and Corey, I'll come to you in a second for, for natural reasons. Are, you, is, are these helpful in the sense that like people are gunning to be our leader, like top line, like that's what's penetrating, like this is actually like good for us, that people are doing joint press conferences or multiple articles being written about this. Give me like the party's sort of strategic thinking here, I want, and I want to get Corey's thoughts in a second. I mean, this is why you do a preferential ballot. You do a preferential ballot or an STV or whatever we want to to put ourselves, you know, whatever terminology we want to use, because we want to see people um, stick around to the end. This used to be the me- the mechanism in a delegated convention. The difference is that in a delegated convention, you're not doing it just one time. You're doing it uh, live, right? Like it's it's happening in the moment. You're getting jockeyed and lobbied and you've got an individual voice and you've got an individual opportunity. This is just a, a, a kind of a mathematical roll-up. Um, and the mathematical roll-up is a little less exciting, a little less dramatic. But as a party... All you really care about is are you raising your the the chances of the party to actually get elected in the next election? And I would argue that the liberals, regardless of who wins, are in a much better position um, after this leadership than they were prior to this leadership. I mean, first of all, just installing anybody with a personality is a huge step up. <laughs> um, like a human being, Corey. They're going to put a human being it's into the It's hard to race. imagine. Yeah. It's it's almost like unbelievable that this is something that could happen to the to the Ontario Liberals. Corey, give, give, give know, me the party's voice on something like this. If you were the ED of this party, how would you be thinking about how you see this leading into 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 two weekends from now? Um, so I would be doing my 
at, and I, like I've kind of been there, right? Like Which is why I asked. Yeah, yeah. Party doing. Yeah. I would be keeping my head so fucking down. Like I would not want to be looking like I was on one side or the other, especially knowing the message and coming out of the Crombie camp. God forbid you actually look like you're in cahoots and this entire thing looks like it's being like pulled into kind of a suspect situation there. Anybody calling for comment, I'd say go talk to the candidates. You know, our job is to run a, a flat process here. I have no opinions about this. And um, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what you would be doing kind of publicly. Like, it's tough. Like, privately, you're just like, fuck me. These assholes are going to blow this fucking thing up. Is You might not even be thinking about that, about, you know, Yasser or Nate or Bonnie. You might be thinking about all of them and being like, how did we get so close to the finish line before this stupid shit starts happening that's going to bleed in past the leadership contest? But, you know, it, it really depends. And part of this stuff may not last very long. These... You don't have to look very far again. If you're here in Alberta, you'll, of course, remember there were an awful lot of opponents to Danielle Smith who said some very firm things who are now in Danielle Smith's cabinet, right? Oh, but, so gross. So but, gross. Um, uh, you know, you do fret about these things and you fret about how you have to keep these things together. And when you're in the party office, part of your job is to keep these things together. Like it's the functioning of the organization that you're charged with. Uh, Carter, it's only a matter of time until David Cameron uh, runs for the Ontario Liberal Party, right? Or gets his oh, yeah. sign somewhere. Okay. I feel like yeah. he's going to be our, I feel like Dave Cameron is, uh, we're going to call him Dave Cameron and he's going to be the new Mark Carney of the show. Uh, well, David Cameron Pig.ca is available for his leadership. Yeah, well, we will definitely be using that. Um, but, but of course, we'll more than likely be using that when he runs in Edmonton Center. Let's move it on to our final segment. Our final segment, Carter, our over, under, and our lightning round. Uh, Carter, we do this for you. Uh, is this going to be all about uh, Travis and Taylor? Because um, now that I'm off, t- now that I'm off t- uh, Twitter, uh, the TikTok thing is pretty addictive. Carter, are, inter- inter- out. are you in or out on the lyric change? Oh, I love the lyric change. I mean, I actually wept uh, when she jumped into his arms. There was a moment of pure happiness, le- the likes of which I've not had since I saw Corey in person last. Yeah. Uh, and he jumped into my arms. And that was a pretty special moment. Hey, Corey? Uh, Corey, were you in or out on the lyric change? I'm going to try right past that. I honestly don't know what you're talking about, and I feel pretty good about it. Wow. That. Carter. What? C- Carter, update him How? with the one fact you have about the situation. Go ahead. Mm, don't need nope, it. Don't no, need no, it. I think Travis flew to Argentina, flew. you he see, flew. and he was there, In and an airplane? she changed. Was, was yeah. the captain Gary Russell? It was Gary Russell, and here's the thing. He was backstage, and she leapt Wait, into his was arms. the he Gary Russell? Did, did Taylor Gary Swift flew. leap into Gary Russell's arms? I believe he did. And... More importantly, this whole thing is unfolding in front of us. It is an amazing romance. We're going to get ages, such a great Corey. breakup song about this. Oh, my God. This is gonna oh it's going to be good. Um, gonna be if good. you want to know more about Gary Russell, of course, uh, David Cameron Pig. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, do you want to explain the David Cameron Pig story? Should we just leave it to... Uh... No, no, I don't. Okay. I definitely don't. Yep. Carter, do you want to explain the David Cameron Pig story? No, he no. doesn't. He doesn't. He definitely <laughs> Carter, doesn't. Do you want to explain it? I, I do, but uh, I'm being censored by Corey, and I'd like to. That sounds right, right? Hey, Carter, overrated, underrated. Uh, new poll coming out that says most Canadians want Justin Trudeau to cut the carbon price on all home heating. Uh, unsurprising poll uh, that that asks uh, uh, the question and gets the answer that most would expect. But from a political pain perspective, we talked about the compounding political pain this federal government is facing. Overrated or underrated in your mind? Um, underrated. I think that, you know, this is the pain that this man has offered, you know, has demanded upon himself. And, uh, he seems to be unwilling or unable to recognize that there's a consequence to his actions. Corey, overrated, underrated in your, in your mind, you know, he's facing a lot of political sort of shots. This particular one verified by polling, which you probably didn't need verified by polling, but everyone wants to fucking break. Didn't need to be verified by polling. The most obvious outcome of a poll, I think, ever. And so I think you have to say it's overrated for that reason. This is entirely costed. And of course, Canadians think this was unfair. Of course, Canadians want a break if they see some of their fellow Canadians getting a break. Yeah. That's a given. And it just underlines how dumb this move was in the first place and how it will have a ripple effect for time to come. But it's it's overrated in the sense that this one individual poll is not going to change the course of history. History is unfolding now. The actions that are going to occur because of that original action, 
they are going to occur and they are not shifted by this one poll. Hey, Corey, let me, let me actually pick up on that for, for our final question in the over-under, which is the Mark Carney, quote-unquote, campaign. The exclusive to the mm-hmm. Globe and Mail, now the rumor mill churning about where exactly he'd run, doing interviews on, on podcasts and, and different platforms. Um, you may think it's happenstance. It is not. This is not coincidence. This is being orchestrated. What? Really? Hold on. Uh, really? Hang are on you a in? Here. Are you in or are you out on what you're seeing right now? The breadcrumbs that are being dropped. Uh, the order of said breadcrumbs uh, around. I'm back. This is not bread. This is full of baguettes just, just pouring out of your just individual out of your like enormous Mack truck, right? Like this is. It, his electric like, Mack uh, truck that he drives, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah his electric Mack truck. Are you in? Are you are you in on the baguette crumbs or baguette rolls as you see them drive past Spark Street, Corey? Which is the baguette rolls on Spark which, Street. Which, by the way, yeah. I believe, I don't know if you could drive on Spark Street. Can you drive on Spark Street? No, yeah, you can't. Point. I mean, that's why I said it. First yeah. That's why I said it. Fucking great. Okay. Are you in or are you out on what you're seeing from Carney? And, 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 and if you're out, give me give me a sense of why you're out. I, I mean, I guess this is exactly what you expect when a leader clearly has their expiry date approaching, right? People start jockeying. And in some ways, I think it's kind of interesting that he is the only one who's made the calculation to be this quasi-public about it. Of course, he's got that luxury not being a sitting MP. But um, some of the other people who are maybe hopefuls and maybe not like top tier hopefuls but the second tier trying to make things happen they're gonna they're gonna start looking at these and saying i I wouldn't mind taking a shot at this too and maybe this is an opportunity for me to stand up and say something as well like in some ways it just takes one to be the starting pistol that justifies everybody else's actions and if you're carney you say get your own baguettes carter are you in or are you out from what you see with the uh the the carney uh, steps in the process. You've seen, you've manufactured, you've engineered these steps. I'm not 100% convinced he didn't manufacture these I, steps. This is, There's absolutely no evidence of me doing so. <laughs> are you in or out, out on them, Carter? And if you're out, what's missing? Well, what's not happening the fast pers- enough? What, 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 are you, what are you listening? The person, who, the person who puts in the knife is usually the per- not the person who wins the, the, uh, the actual contest. Uh, so I'm a little bit concerned for Carney. Um, but you think on the that other would hand, be him and not Trudeau's own caucus collectively? Well, I was going to say, I feel like Trudeau's like, well, plunged I, the knife into himself at this point. Am I yeah. allowed to do on the oh, other hand? Which I was just yeah. starting. Okay. There's a button. There's on the other, on the other hand, one of the con- one of the concerns with the uh, the caucus and the and the party is. Is there someone willing to step up and take this who can actually deliver? And I think that Carney, at the very least, even if he's not the person who should be delivering, is conceivable as that. And there are others as well. I mean, honest to God, if Trudeau is unable to see the writing on the wall, I mean, it's over. This decision that he just made was the worst decision in electoral history. Uh, yeah, that's a little bit of hyperbole. That was, yeah. Because uh, David Cameron's back in politics. But... Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't need to look far, <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. In this episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this is this is going to be ultimately fine. Uh, Corey, would uh, Justin Trudeau bringing in Jean Chrétien as his foreign affairs minister? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah, a serious guy. He'd be well regarded by the rest of uh, the world leaders. So let's make it happen. Yeah. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1267 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Belcher. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.